welcome back to yet another episode of Talking Bollocks. Yes, I am back, you are back, we are back, Bollocks are back, podcast is back, and fuck me, the news is back in style. But first, an announcement from my ego. Hello, I am your host, Howard H. Smith otherwise known as lead singer of Acid Rain, otherwise known as host of this podcast, otherwise known as host of the official Motorhead podcast, the Motorcast, also hosting uh, the Reducer podcast, and, unbeknownst to you, you are also subscribed to Old Bollocks. Yes, a monthly podcast that drops in, whether you like it or not, that I do with uh, myself and Stephen Oldhead, Ivy, uh, and they are going to be dropping once a month from now until, well, one of us dies. Because let's face it, not doing these podcasts and not talking about metal, well, yeah, it's going to be death that stops us and little else. So welcome, welcome one, welcome all, welcome to Talking Bollocks. And bollocks shall be talked, it shall be spoken. And let's get straight on with what's been happening in the world of metal since last we spoke. Well, you can't get more talking bollocks than the latest load of shit to fall out of the mouth of empty-headed ex-guitar genius and now just ranting redneck on his fucking porch, Ted Nugent. Yep, that's right. Blabbermouth headline, Ted Nugent explains decision to resign from NRA board. Well, how fascinating is that? What the fuck has that got to do with music? Hello, Blabbermouth. Can we keep our, what, just about, you know, the, the, fucking single soul bastion of up-to-date heavy metal music rolling fucking news. Ted Nugent explains decision to resign from NRA board. I mean, is it a (laughs) slow news day or fucking what? I mean, to be honest, I'd probably rather hear about Puddle of Mud's Wes Scantlin Everybody should just go and get vaccinated, whether I agree with him or not. I mean, I do, but anyway. Uh, or Metallica's Lars Ulrich wishes James Hetfield happy 50th, 58th birthday. Lars says, we're just getting started. Well, yes, clearly that's irony, because you're not. Um, and then there's some news on Led Zeppelin. That, I mean, that's, you know, that's, and that's, just, that's just the sidebar along next to... Ted Nugent explains decision to resign from NRA board. I mean, personally, I couldn't give a shit. Yeah, I couldn't give a shit if he's resigned from his fucking local PTA board. That's Parents Teachers Association, kids. I mean, who gives a shit? And that's all I've got to say on it. I'm not going to give it any more oxygen. But I'll tell you what, followed, followed right on the heels of, wait for it, here is your next piece of rock or metal, or rock and metal muse, Rolling Stones drummer Charlie Watts to sit out band's US tour. I mean, fuck me! I mean, A, sorry Charlie, and I realise I'm being extremely shallow, but he's looked like he needed to sit out at least the last ten tours. But who gives a shit? I'm sorry, but the Rolling Stones on Blabbermouth. It's, I mean, I look, maybe I've got this all wrong. But then again, I look at the CD reviews and it's nothing but fucking absolutely total heavy metal, heavy rock, 
fucking extreme metal, you name it. It's certainly got, not got the most recent Rolling Stones album review. Although, fuck knows when that came out, probably about 15 years ago. But seriously, Charlie, oh, who gives a shit who plays drums for the Rolling Stones on their US tour? I mean, maybe the Stones, yeah? And some people who are going to the gigs, but nobody else. Honestly. And then, and, and, and now, now this is a right kick in the balls. Because when they do get round to some metal news, baby metal, new revelation, new revelation from the fox god. Now, I mean, I'd missed out on the bullshit fucking mythology that they built up around this excuse for thieving, um, babysitting money from children of uh, heavy metal parents and non-heavy metal parents, because that's clearly who the target market was. Japanese pop metal band Baby Metal. They, I mean, it's right there in the name, pop metal band Baby Metal, released a legend, a legend map depicting its entire 10th anniversary year. It was also revealed that as the grand finale of Baby Metal's 10th anniversary year, or as it's called, hitting puberty um, and no longer able to do it, on Sunday, October the 10th, the group's 10-year legend since 2010 will be sealed from the world. I mean, it's not making any fucking sense. I am reading it, by the way, in case you think I can't read, in case you think I'm doing a Bill Burr. I'm not. That is word for word what it says. It's just clearly been translated badly. Um, or maybe it hasn't. But here we go again, right? Baby Metal's 10th anniversary year began on October the 10th of last year, and since then they've accomplished two major feats. Baby feats. Baby Metal released their greatest hits album, 10 Baby Metal Years, and successfully completed a series of 10 performances called 10 Baby Metal Budokan. Are, are, are you seeing a pattern here? At the Budokan, between January to April in 2021, the third and uh, final to conclude their commemorative year will be 10 Baby Metal Legends, a series of projects looking back at Baby Metal's 10-year accomplishments. Fuck me! We get the fucking message, right? 10 fucking years of absolute fucking bullshit. Of child enslavement to make money. Fuck off. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to read any more of that fucking press release. All I'm going to say is... Good fucking riddance. Please fuck off sooner. Um, and next up, somebody else that can fuck off Gene Simmons. <laughs> Joins forces. Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry, um, that is actually a cough. I am going to show off a little bit here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, I, we, uh, myself and Acid Rain, we played the um, main stage at Bloodstock two days ago. Um, so, hence, voice just a little, got a little bit of a, a bit of a uh, gravel to it because it was our first gig for eighteen months, and there you go. Anyway, um, Kiss bassist and vocalist Gene Simmons. In case you didn't know who Gene Simmons was, it handily lets you know that he's the bassist. Uh, and vocalist with a band called Kiss has joined forces with uh, Nicholas Leon uh, of Animazing Gallery at the Grand Canal, wherever, right? And it's getting, yeah. The gallery showing will include a broad variety of artwork by Simmons, from sketches and drawings to small and large format paintings. 
And then Jean, you know, goes on about, you know, moving to the United States as a boy. Yeah, whatever. Oh, it informed my artwork. Oh, really? You're a painter now? Absolute crap. And then there's the, you know, the CEO of An Amazing Arts. I always knew that Jean had many talents, but I had no... I mean, this could have been written by Jean, to be honest. I always know that Jean had many talents, but I had no idea he was such an incredible artist. Getting to see samples of his work, ranging from his childhood illustrations to his current paintings, was eye-opening. There's so much variety in his work. I asked if he would like to show and possibly even sell some of his work and he humbly said, why not? And here we are. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine, right? If somebody said to Gene that there's something in his house of value that he'd never thought that was of value and he could sell it and make some money, of course he's going to say yes. Fucking hell. He humbly said, what he meant to say was, he took my fucking arm off. <laughs> But what you? What I, I mean, I'm gonna be completely honest about this. I scroll down a little further, read the article, and I'm thinking, oh, you know, and I've, I've made my mind up like a twat. You know, I've read half the article and I've made my mind up, like everyone does. But at least I've read half the article instead of half the fucking headline and made my mind up, like most of you cunts. But anyway, well, not people who listen to this, but you know, the other cunts. And I scroll down and I look at the art and I go, fuck, that's good. <laughs> And it is. It's, I mean, it's just it's it's this one painting, um, and I'll look, I'll I'll put a link to the article where the, where where the um, the picture appears. And I'm looking at it. I'm thinking, I'd hang that on my wall. I've got to be honest. I would get that framed and hang that on my wall. So yeah, a bit like me reading the article. You might have got halfway through this and thought, I'm just going to batter him. Credit where credit's due. Talent where it is. You've got to recognise talent. And yeah. Fair fucks to the Gene Meister. Yeah, the master of money. The kisser of cash. <laughs> it's a decent painting. It's not decent. I'd hang it on my wall. It's nice. I like it. Fucking hell, what's wrong with me? Well, I'll tell you what. Let's get to the next article, shall we? Dee Schneider dismisses Gene Simmons' Rock is Dead comment as bullshit. Now this is more like it. Get in there, Dee. Give him a fucking kick in. A few years ago, Kiss Bases, Gene, uh, Gene Simmons told Esquire, Rock did not die of old age, it was murdered. Some brilliance somewhere was going to be expressed and now it won't be because uh, it's much harder to earn a living playing and writing songs. No one will pay you to do it. Well, certainly not the volumes of cash that Gene's used to. Snyder is currently promoting um, his new solo album, Leave a Scar, which is great, by the way. Um, talked about this in the consequences sound addressing Gene's rock is dead comment D said he makes me crazy I mean I love him I love Kiss but I wish he had just shut the hell up with this and he doubles down on it this statement of rock's dead there are no rock stars don't bother all that shit it's just so self-serving and self-absorbed it's selfish it's like because it's not doing because it's not doing it my way it doesn't have value it's not the way it was when I was coming up so it's not rock anymore it's not it's it just doesn't exist anymore that's bullshit and I just thought as always Dee Schneider hits the nail on the fucking head absolutely spot on I can't add to that D has done my job for me thank you D I just wish I could get him to come on the podcast but I don't I just I it, it's not it's not big enough okay I've cooked up several ways to try and get him on and every time I get an email back from his um uh from his management D's gonna pass on this <laughs> I just think fair enough fair enough um so next up um, Black Sabbath to release Technical Ecstasy Deluxe Edition featuring previously unreleased outtakes, alternative mixes and live tracks. Now, the reason I bring this 
uh, this story to light. As you know, um, I do the motorcast for Motorhead and um, from time to time uh, it does revolve around pushing um, re-releases and some amazing re-releases, some amazing box sets full of incredible rarities that you you, you, you can never have heard, pictures you've never seen and really, really cool stuff. And yes, some of this stuff costs a lot of money. I mean, I'm looking at the, the, the box set for Technical Ecstasy and it looks absolutely amazing. And yes, it is probably going to cost a lot of money. It's probably going to be somewhere over a hundred pounds, definitely over a hundred dollars. And people will bitch and moan. And be- look, the simple fact is, the original album is there. Yeah, that will always exist. Always exist. And if that's all you need, fine. Now, if you fancy a, a single disc remaster of it, that's available as well. You want to slightly update it, then that's available to you as well. And if you don't want this box set, then fine. But that doesn't mean it shouldn't exist for the people who do want it. And then there's the other people who do want it and have been priced out by it, so slag it off. And I can understand that, but just, you know, that doesn't make it shit and that doesn't mean they shouldn't be doing it. It just means you can't afford it and you're pissed off because you've been priced out. So you are now going to fucking moan and say they shouldn't be doing it because I, if I can't have it and I can't afford it, no one should have it. Well, stop being so bloody selfish, yeah? If you really want it, just put a few put a few pennies away every christmas eh every time every time grandma gives you a, a 5 dollar note or a, a 5 pound note at christmas just pop it away keep keep stacking them up yeah and get your box set when you can afford it in 30 or 40 years time <laughs> um so next up um it's it's the soulfly debate um you know, it's Max says Mark uh, Max says Mark Rizzo was fired due to personal reasons. Uh, Mark Rizzo says he got no support from Soulfly during pandemic, not even a phone call. Um, you know, and and you know his his line is basically I put eighteen years into that, and when COVID hit, I felt like what have I been doing for these eighteen years? Normally, you go to a day job, and, you, and, and they get support in the, it, during COVID. Um, and I was working very hard. I was doing, and so basically, he had to go and get a day job. Um, he didn't get anything from Soulfly, so he says, "Okay, you've got to take everything at face value, everything at all." Now, um, uh, and to be fair, Max has addressed it, and he said, "Look, I, I want to address something um, that's going on. Of course, it's about Mark Rizzo. He did not leave the band. We decided to part ways with him due to personal reasons. I wish Mark the best with his career and thank him uh, for eighteen years with Soulfly." Um, I mean, you, if you want to take sides, it's 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 very easy to take both sides. And the thing is, Max has kind of rem- sort of a bit of a dignified silence there, rather than getting involved in a, a slanging match. And that that always, I think that's always quite classy. Because no, I mean, look, some of you might want to see bands doing the dirty washing in public. Personally, I'm not a big fan. I think these things, I mean, you know, I'm old fashioned, aren't I? I'm 51, fuck me, I'm totally out of date. But I just think these things should be done behind closed doors. I don't, you know, I'm not into beef between bands and people slagging each other off. I think there's much better ways of spending your time. Um, And it's just all a bit cheap. It's all a bit playground. But Mark Rizzo clearly feels like he's got something to get off his chest. And it seems like he wants to sort of paint a different picture of the inverted commas tribe 
and uh, you know basically uh, he found out that a, a tribe he'd been in for 18 months uh, when it came down to it didn't have his back and Max is basically saying it was it was personal issues so you know th- and there's no reason to say that that either party's lying because let's face it uh, and I've said this on the podcast before but I probably haven't said it for a long time right there's your version there's my version and then there's the truth yeah there's your truth there's my truth and then there's the truth because only people who are not involved in the argument can actually give you the truth because they don't have any skin in the game they can stand back and say well objectively not having any emotion in this I can tell you that this is how it appears to everybody else. But, you know, the truth is usually, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. And I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's, you know, a a great amount of truth in both statements and in both sides. Um, But, you know, that's, it is what it is, I believe, is the, is, is how you would put it. Now, I think it's time that we should just crack on with the interview. And you know who it's with. You've read the description, or in case you haven't, and this is just, you know, you've got no idea, it's Brian Slagle. He's making his second visit to Talking Bollocks. Yes, he, the head of Metal Blade, he, the one of the label godfathers of thrash metal, without a doubt, that is undisputed. And we had a right old chat. Now, I've decided to give you guys a treat. What you are going to hear here, that was a bit weird, wasn't it? Um, is the whole thing, including the Patreon section. You're going to hear the whole thing. Now, what do I mean by the Patreon section? In the podcast description, you'll sign sign up. You'll see a, a, a you know a link saying you can sign up to Patreon or whatever. That's where for six dollars a month you can sign up to the full bollocks and you get loads of extras. You get a ra- you get a monthly radio show that's always about two hours long. You get a monthly live Zoom that can be anything up to four hours long. Believe me, uh, you get all sorts of other features as well. But one of the features is you get to ask questions or at least you give me the questions and I get to ask your questions to people you've always wanted to ask these questions to. From Max Cavaliera to Scott Ian to Fish from Marillion to Suzanne Vega to Brian Slagle. And the reason I'm including it all here is so you can normally hear where your podcast would normally end and the amount of stuff you're missing out on. So if you want to sign up, click the link in the description or just go to patreon.com forward slash Howard H. Smith. Sign up and I'll see you soon and you will not believe the amount of stuff you get for such a pittance. (laughs) You get loads of acid rain stuff behind the scenes as well if you're interested. So without further ado, really enjoyed this. Brian is a top man and this could have gone on considerably longer but he was very generous with his time so you get now the full one hour and 15 minutes that we spent chatting here's brian and i having a good old post-pandemic post-mortem actually at this point i should mention that this was done on zoom and a video of the entire conversation is available on the talking bollocks youtube channel um, and you can also click the link in the description that says video interview and that will take you straight to it 
and that was it's such a shame in it because that was a that was a real yeah post pandemic post mortem and then i realized i've forgotten to tell you about the video so how talking bollocks is that it that is just sums up this podcast entirely anyway i now return you to your region regional normal programming oh here's the fucking interview so hello brian thanks for coming on the show thanks for having me no problem Absolute pleasure. Um, uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. This is actually your second time on the show. Uh, right. Okay, good. Great. Well, thank you for coming. I do back. remember. Okay, simple question right out the gate, really. Um, what's the last 18 months been like for you and for the label? Yeah, weird, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. So strangely enough for the label, uh, it's been really good, which is kind of unusual, but I think what we're seeing is uh, obviously we, you know, we were down for three or four months. We weren't really sure what was going to happen, but 2020 ended up being a really, really good year for us. And 2021 so far is kind of repeating the same thing. Uh, I think a lot of that is due to the fact that uh, the fans obviously aren't going to concerts. So they have some more money to spend on possibly. And uh, they're spending it thankfully on, uh, on music and, you know, supporting the bands and the label, which uh, I, we couldn't be uh, happier for. But that being said, um, it's obviously a struggle for the bands because they're, you know, most of their livelihood is going out on the road and, and touring. And not only yeah. just livelihood, just, you know, connecting with people and fans. And it's been, you know, we're still, you know, we're still kind of seeing how all that's shaking out at this point. Uh, but yeah, it's been, uh, it's, it's difficult. And it doesn't look like it's going to get a whole lot better anytime soon which is a bummer but uh yeah we'll see at least we're starting to see some live shows i mean we're i mean i'm i'm playing bloodstock in um in two weeks so um that's nice because we brought we brought an album out that's acid rain we brought an album out at the end of 2019 and we played four shows and we were all set to you know give 2020 our all um after you know it's taken us 29 years to release an album and we release it, do four shows, and then there's a pandemic for the first time in 103 years. Yeah. Good, good timing. Uh, <laughs> I've seen that happen a, a lot. Yeah we'll, yeah, we'll see how it goes over here uh, in the U.S. Unfortunately, numbers are starting to go way up again, which is a bit disconcerting. But, you know, we have PsychoFest out here in a couple of weeks, so that'll be really the first, the first show here in, in Vegas since all of this stuff happened. So... You know, we'll see how it goes over here. Um, you know, tours are starting, but also numbers are going up again. So I don't know if that's going to mean that things are going to shut down again. I don't know. It's just, yeah. It's, we're just kind of playing it by ear and hoping that, that things get better. Well it's, it, well, it's kind of weird as well, because, I mean, ultimately the UK is, you know, the size of one state. And, and with every state having kind of different, different laws and different ways of tackling it, it's, it's kind of... That's just, it's just leads to even more confusion. Yeah. And that's kind of the, the touring problem here is obviously the, the first big tour to cancel were, were uh, uh, Deftones and, and Gojira just because they didn't want to get out of the road and have to have to cancel dates yeah. at the last minute because you just don't know, like, you know, may, maybe it's okay in one state, but it's not okay in another state. And so that makes touring on, on that level really difficult. So we'll, you know, we'll just have to see. It's just, uh, you know, everybody's hopeful that, that uh, it gets better. But right now, especially in places like California, Florida, it's not too good. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, you know, obviously it goes without saying that, um, you know, you have my sympathies. Um, but funnily enough, um, our label was saying the same thing, certainly in the first the first part of the pandemic when it was absolute lockdown. They were saying that the the um, response from fans and the, just the, the the volume of of stuff they were shifting. Um, I, I mean, you know, the head of the label said to me, we, we, we've just had our best month for 16 years. Yeah, it's similar here. I think you, you hear that story a lot. And also, you know, the bands that uh, that were able to get a bunch of merchandise out, I, you know, especially a lot of bands that were about to go out on tour. Like we had Black Dahlia Murder, Kill Switch Engage, and Cattle Decapitation all put out records who were about to go on the road. And obviously they got shut down, but they went through all their merch and more merch. So uh, so everybody's surviving uh, at this point. Obviously, the, the uh, live streams have been really cool. Uh, you know, Kill Switch is actually doing one this Friday, I think it is. So, so those are a way to kind of, you know, at least sort of keep with the fans. At, uh, yeah, and I mean, uh, well, do it. Some people are doing cool things with them too. Well, yeah. Well, let's face it. Lamb of God have released have released it as a, a live album and a live DVD of a of a yeah. streaming show. So, I I mean, I I don't know. Maybe that's the way forward. Yeah, we're doing the same with with Behemoth, by the way. Um, ah, I right. If you look at silver linings of all this stuff, I think one of them is, is I think these live streams are really cool, uh, especially for fans. Cause you always get the complaints like, you know, you're coming to my town. You're not coming to my country. You're not, you know, well, here, here we are. It's, I, I've encouraged all the bands. Like when you go out on the road now, because so many venues have the capabilities to do this and do this decently to do the live stream. And that way, if you're in Montana or wherever, and the and you can't see the band or even if they're playing in your town you got to work or whatever here's an opportunity for you to at least get a chance to see something even though you're not there it's uh it's uh, at least partially good yeah yeah come to chile that's the one that's always in the comments <laughs> yeah because it's so easy um, of course get on a plane tomorrow right yeah absolutely no problem i mean it was tough before all this shit happened so you know it's just yeah, it's it, it it's crazy, but uh, you know it's a, it's a good point you make there because ultimately, you know, we are we're kind of in a wartime situation. You know, we're, we're all at war with a with an unseen enemy, and at time and you know as we all know from our history lessons at school, in times of war come great innovation, um, and I think that's what we that's what we're seeing within the music business is people having being forced to innovate, being forced to connect with their fans in different ways, try and drive revenues in different ways. Um, and it, and it is, you know, it's, it's, it, it's definitely creating some, um, some interesting projects. Um, I mean, when we get back to some kind of normality, do you think that's something that's just, that, that, that is going to survive or are we going to go back to the old ways? I hope the streams survive. Like I said, I think it's a good way for fans to connect to, to yeah. fans that aren't able to go to the live shows. Uh, and I've talked to all the bands about it and some uh, definitely want to continue doing it. Some are, you know, hesitant, but it's a good revenue stream for them, which is, which is always helpful because you know, certainly all of our bands are, you know, they're not, you know, living in mansions and driving Ferraris. Yeah. So, uh, so anything helps. And, and I think it's great for the fans too. And like I said, now there's, there's ways you can do it. You can do it creatively. You know, we, we've got some interesting ideas coming up with some new albums coming out with some with a like a stream attached to it that's more than just a live show and i think there's a lot of really kind of cool things that 
are coming out of this. So like I said, I'm trying to look at as many silver linings as you can. So Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, as a, and the thing is, is as the label head, that's what you have to do because everyone's looking to you, aren't they really? You know, it's, it's, and it, it comes from the top down. And if you, you know, and if you can get that message across to everybody that, Hey, look, you know, this isn't the apocalypse. There is plenty we can do. Um, and like you say, and you know, you say some bands are hesitant, but, you know, when you mention the words stable revenue stream, that that hesitancy tends to kind of fade away a little. Well, you also see what, you know, some of the other bands have done and, you know, some of the revenue is, is, is phenomenal. So it's, uh, it's, it's especially now, it's a really big help to a lot of these bands. So uh, and, it's, yeah. and, you know, so far, the reaction from the fans have, have, has been really good, too. So. Yeah. And I've seen I've seen some cool ones. I mean, I've seen ones, you know, where people are essentially playing a gig without a crowd. But I've seen others where I mean, I, I saw I saw the Voivod one. Which was which was really interesting, you know, the fact that they'd gone back and done two really old albums, and but they didn't put it out live, you know, they they produced it and added effects, and then and it it was phenomenal. And the weird thing is, I thought it would bother me that it wasn't a live live stream, and then the minute it starts, you're like, oh man, this is this is great. Yeah, I think if you can add in a lot of production value to it, because we've seen that in some of the songs, like Behemoth is another good example of just doing something completely over the top. And it's like, you know, was it live live? No, but, you know, it was within, you know, a day or two or whatever it was. But the production value is so amazing that you, you need to have that extra time to, to make it, you know, perfect, so to speak. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, I think that, that stuff is really cool. And I also love another thing that's come out of this that I think is really cool that, that yeah, I know a couple of our bands are talking about doing is doing an album in its entirety, one time only, we'll do it one time only stream, an album in its entirety, we'll do a bunch of bundles for it. And I think that's really cool too, because if you have, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm always a fan of, of bands doing classic albums in their entirety. Um, yeah. It's difficult to get the bands to do that all, a lot of times, but I think for a stream, uh, because it's a little bit more of a, a one-time only thing you have to do it every night sort of thing it's a little more i don't want to say easier but uh hey oh, I, I, go ahead you know being in a band is not that difficult <laughs> i mean it's but but you're right it, it does from a band perspective it's like okay let's rehearse this it's a one-off show um and we'll do it i, I i've been asked if we do like you know if we ever like do do a, a tour dedicated to one old album it's like no god no the thought yeah. of playing those songs back to back in the same fucking order we put them in when we were teenagers. No, thank you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I totally get that on the band side too. I, I understand that. But I think as a fan, you know, I love it when bands do that and it, it yeah. another vehicle to make that happen. Then I'm, I'm all for it. Oh, I'm, I'm an absolute hypocrite. I love it when bands do it <laughs> apart, apart from when I'm asked to do it. And then, and then it's a stupid idea. Um, but no, I'm fan, by the way, <laughs> sorry. Totally understand, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Well, it's, it's kind of weird because ultimately people in bands are just seriously serious music fans. I mean, that's why we're in bands, because listening wasn't enough. You know, you wanted to get involved. You wanted to be able to, like, climb inside the music and walk around and make your own instead of just listening. And, I, I, and, and then so it's, it, it is really weird because it's like it's literally down the middle. It's like I'd really want my favorite bands to do this, but... If asked to do it myself, no, no, definitely not. Which, like I said, is you know very hypocritical. But at least I'm honest about it. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, 
do you see do you see a time where that side of the business of your particular business is 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 going to build up do you think there would be any time where you would look you know to start like adding a kind of streaming service to the business as in you know you bring a band in and you say right okay here's the album and you don't need to go and get a separate streaming company you don't need to get all these people involved we can do it all you know in one hub through the label yeah, there's there's been a lot of talk about that. We you know we've talked to various people over over the course of the pandemic because we've all had extra time to do things like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's very possible. I think there definitely there were a lot of uh, a lot of people talking about doing that and partnering with different people. It's kind of slowed down a bit now that we're you know getting out of it. So I don't know necessarily if the component would be specifically ours, but you know we might find a partner that does it that. Uh, that knows how to do it, you know, we'll see. I think that that's kind of just a fluid thing at, at this point, but I do, I am a big fan of, of the live streams and I personally want to see them go on even as we get back to hopeful normalcy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it only takes, it only takes a few releases, certainly within, within our um, genre, it only takes a few releases by, by big bands you know, the larger to say, right, here's, you know, here's the vinyl, here are all the various packages. And here is another package with a VIP ticket to a stream, you know, a one-off stream, week of release, day of release, whatever. And I think you see that two or three times and it will just trickle down. And, you know, everybody, if they're able, will be saying, right, well, this is the new normal. We need to do that now. Yeah. If you can do it right. uh, Absolutely. I think think it's great. Yeah. I also, I mean, I've, I've seen a couple of like sort of DIY streaming things as well, which weren't terrible. You know, it's, it's, I mean, it's not exactly a ringing endorsement. I get that, but you know, however you get to see something and, and, you know, in lockdown, there was some really shitty live streams, but it was just something different to what it's not Netflix. That's, you know, basically fine. And I think, yeah, and I, you know, Oh, sorry. I, yeah. I think too, you know, it's early on people were kind of learning how to do this and, you know, even the, the venues didn't have it quite together. And now that enough of these things have been done and enough of the venues have it kind of together to do it. I think that lately the streams I've seen tend to be a little bit better than some of the early, even the DIY ones t- seem tend to be a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and during, I mean, during lockdown, during the, the height of it, um, how did you handle um, new releases? Did you just, basically say to everybody just let's hold on take a step back and you know we've got to rethink everything pretty much you know we we kind of refocused what what we did once we could start to manufacture things again we kind of refocused and said uh you know let's go back and let's start reissuing catalog let's start doing you know cool vinyl variants and whatnot that we haven't done yet it kind of because we have a huge catalog which we're lucky enough to, to have that we're able to go back in and kind of do cool things. So we did a lot of that because not only did we not want to put out new releases, the bands were like, we don't want to put out a record now and then yeah. tour on it, you know, much later. But what we found, we eventually started putting out some new releases. Uh, I think the first couple of big ones were Armored Satan, Fate's Warning, two bands that don't do a lot of touring anyway. Yeah. And the records were already done. So we put those out and they had some of the biggest, I think both bands had the highest numbers they've ever had on the first week, highest chart numbers, highest everything. Wow. And we found, again, I think by waiting and, and you know, not everybody's putting out records and again, that the appetite for this stuff is so huge and, you know, a lot of people don't have a lot of stuff to do. So there's, you know, they're aware of what's going on, thankfully. And so stuff did really well, but yeah, we, we still hold, held on to, 
the releases. We still have a couple of releases that have been sitting around for a while that we're you know, going to put out probably later this year, just because the bands do want to be able to, to tour on it uh, sooner than later. Yeah, yeah. And, and that, is, that, that is a difficulty. Um, it, it, with that, I mean, you know, speaking from experience, it's kind of like, do we write a new album in lockdown? And that means that the release that you've put out at the end of 2019 is, is never going to get toured. You know, and and it's going to get kind of lost. Um, yeah, that that's a difficult one, and you know we're kind of dealing that a little bit with Cannibal Corpse, who put out you know one of their best albums ever, and you know they're not going to be able to tour on it for a while. But but they've got a couple interesting things in the works. Uh, hopefully, I'm going to see them in a couple of weeks because they're supposed to be playing here at Psychofest, so it'd be good to see them. Um, but yeah, it's it's difficult because then you know, like you said, how do you do that? You you put out another record. I mean, we definitely. I think almost every single band in existence has all been writing and, and or recording now. So that's going to be, I think, coming out of this and hopefully in 2022 and, and obviously beyond that is, you know, how do you, how do you, number one, how do you figure out all the touring to go out? So it's not all out at the same time. And number two, how do you figure out the releases? So there's not, you know, a hundred releases coming out in a week. So. And, and, and I've got a number three for you as well. How do you make sure that not, that you haven't got five albums by five bands all about isolation and viruses coming <laughs> coming out. Yeah, there's not much you can do about that. I, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of that, but uh, I'm also hopeful that uh, there's a lot of anger and, and uh, angst coming out in a lot of this music too. So that, that always leads to good art, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Frustration. Frustration and frustration and anger. Yeah, they're great. Well, let's say, you know, great art comes from struggle. And if you're struggling through a, a pandemic, then yeah, the shit's going to go down. Um, but there, but I, I, but I do see it, you know, I, it's inevitable that we are, there is going to be, you know, a certain amount of, you know, isolation virus and, and, and all the rest coming out of it. And of course, all of the social issues that, that have been a knock on from this as well. I mean, you know, uh, I've had the experience most people I know, I'm sure you might have had the experience where something like this and happens and all of a sudden you find out that you've got some people who are uh, have some interesting views on things and you never thought you'd hear stuff from them like this. Unfortunately, absolutely. That, uh, yeah. That'll happen. And, uh, just it is what it is, I guess. Uh, yeah, everybody, um, everybody reacts to being um, shut in their houses by the government slightly differently, apparently. Um, you know, something is for the greater good and, uh, and others not so much. Um, but I, again, it's a hell of a thing to, to, to live through and to navigate. You must get a certain amount of um, uh, pride out of the fact that, well, do you know what, guys, if we can, if we can get through this, we can get through anything. Yeah, I mean, you know, you just have to kind of find a way to, to work things out, you know, and we, you know, it's, it's a... It's been, like I said, it's been really weird for us as a label because, and really all the labels, because we've all done pretty well in this. And, you know, bands are struggling and, uh, you know, I have a lot of friends. It's, it's, it's just been such a weird thing because different areas do have done really well. I have a lot of friends with business outside the music business that have done really well. And then other people like, you know, certainly performers and, you know, that sort of thing. It's been horrible for, for them. Yeah. Uh, crew members, you know, all this sort of stuff. So, oh, absolutely. Another, it's another big issue that we're kind of talking about a lot now as these tours hopefully come back. 
crews are incredibly difficult to find because a lot of these guys, obviously they, that was their career and they can't not work for 18 months. So they've taken other jobs and, you know, in a lot of cases yeah. they don't have a tour, they can stay home, they can be their families. So they don't want to come back. So we're, we're seeing that the, you know, if uh, anybody out there wants to be a, a crew person, now's probably a pretty good time to start because yeah. a lot of, uh, a lot of jobs are going to be available in the next uh, six months or so, hopefully. Yeah, that's I, and that, that's a really good point. And I mean, one group of businesses that I really, really feel for who who don't really naturally fall into this are the venues, because I mean, there's I mean, bands can at least you know we can repackage stuff, we can put merch out. Well, I mean, venues manufacture nothing; they literally just stand there and age and you know and fall apart whilst having no revenue coming in. Yeah, that's been a, a horrible, horrible problem all, all over the world. You know, we did, we got heavily involved with uh, a couple of organizations here, you know, Save Our Stages and stuff that uh, actually finally pushed through in the U.S. government a, a huge uh, amount of money that went to, to all these venues to basically keep them to survive. Because, yeah, they're just sitting yeah. there empty for so long. And I've talked, you know, a lot of friends that run venues, I've talked to them. And, they, you know, they found different ways to, to stay uh, stay alive. You know, the streaming thing is one one area where, you know, people have been doing that sort of stuff and doing whatever they can, but we're going to definitely lose a lot of really cool. I mean, we already have lost a lot of really cool yeah. venues on the world, which is uh, a real bummer, but we're hoping, you know, a lot of play, a lot of people are hoping that once things turn around, that it, it, people will, other people come in to own it and, you know, yeah. continue the legacy going on, but you know, we'll just, we'll have to see. It's, it's definitely a, a, a bit of a tenuous situation. Yeah, and none of us know how this is going to shake down yet because we're, I mean, we're essentially, we're at different stages of it. I mean, we're kind of, we seem to be coming out of it. We're about 85% of the population vaccinated over here. Um, but, you know, we're a, we're a small country, we're a small island. Um, it's, and the and this is the thing about, you know, touring and it's certainly, you know, like you said, like we said earlier, touring North America, it's a, it's a, it's a real difficulty, but it's the same with any country at the moment, really. Because yep. you know you, you can be you can be touring through one country that's absolutely fine, but you can't you know roll through to the next country because everything's not fine. Yeah, it seems what's happening here and, and a little bit in, in Europe too, but it's still early to tell. It's just festivals are going to be the big thing. Um, yeah, is, which is as long as they can run smoothly and stuff, it'll be good. I mean, look, there's, I mean, the lineups for next summer over in Europe are just completely insane. So yeah. hope, I'm hoping everything goes run smooth and we can get back by then. Um, and even over here, you know, like I said, like since I go fest here has a really good lineup. Of course, unfortunately, a lot of bands had to cancel due to yeah. the fact that they couldn't get here from Europe or, you know, people still might not want to travel, but. Uh, uh, with the same, the, yeah, the same things. I mean, the same things happened with, um, with Bloodstock, you know, we've uh, lost quite a few bands from outside of the UK um, but then, of course, given how this, you know, this this whole scenario works, um, all of a sudden the regulations have just changed. So all of a sudden, I think you've got, you know, you've got bookers at Bloodstock now going back to bands, you know, who's, who said like, you know, oh, no, it's, you know, you can't do it. And now the regulations have changed literally, I think, about a day, day and a half ago. Now the UK will accept uh, people from the US if they've been double jabbed. 
So if you're organizing a festival that starts in two weeks <laughs> and all of a sudden you're going back to some bands again, has everybody got two jabs? Just tell me everyone's got two jabs. It's like, yeah, right. Come, come back, come back. Yeah. Brilliant. So yeah, it is. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm just doing the easy bit and playing on the stage. Uh, I, and that's another thing about this whole thing as well is the, the constant changing of uh, because the virus is constantly changing. You know, we've, we keep seeing we keep seeing different strains. And as much as people complain that, oh, you know, everything keeps changing, restrictions keep, you know, they're lifted, then they're not. And it's kind of like, well, the, the virus isn't playing ball. It's not just staying as one thing. Um, and it's going to be around for a long time, I think. Yeah, we're seeing that over here where, you know, we kind of thought that we were kind of out of it a little bit. And then, yeah, the new variants come and then all of a sudden it's a it's a much different thing. And, uh, you know, it's uh, over here. It's become a big political thing, which is beyond me, but it is what it is. So, yeah, yeah it's uh, it's going to be a while. Uh, I agree. I, I you know, it's I don't know. Nobody can predict anything. And even in the, in the midst of this stuff, you know, just talking to people, if they say they know, they don't really know. <laughs> no one knows. Yeah, that's a that's a really good maxim to live by. That is. Yes. If they yeah. say they know, they don't know. Yeah, because yeah. no, no one really knows. So we'll just, you know, we're all hoping, uh, you know, things get better sooner than later. Well, one thing, I, I, you know, I've heard, oh, when's it going to go away? Well, here's a clue. Um, the last pandemic 103 years ago was flu. Has that gone away? <laughs> no. So, you know, it's another version of flu that's that, you know, we're, we'll have to we'll all have to have our jabs for. And, and you know, that's it, really. More, more than likely, I mean, this, you know, the scientists, you know, know way, far more than I do. I, I, I talked to a few of them and, you know, and it's just impossible to tell because, you know, other things have kind of come and gone. And this is, you know, not to get too scientific, but this is, you know, part of, you know, things that we've seen like SARS and H1N1. And yeah, that's so this is a different strain of that. And some of those did more or less go away. But yeah, again, like I said, if you think, you know, you don't really know. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, did you, I mean, did you sign any new bands when you, you know, when you, when you were in lockdown and, uh, you know, were you still getting, getting people submitting stuff? Oh yeah. We, we get stuff all the time, obviously. I think even more during this time, because, you know, these bands have more time to sit around and form and make new music. So yeah, we, we signed, we actually sent quite a few bands, mostly from Europe, actually uh, more so than, than the States. So yeah, we've, we've gone through and signed uh, a bunch of new stuff, which, you know, some of it's coming out now, like, you know, Space Chaser, for example, which, you know, had a really good first week uh, and a great reaction to their record so far. So, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I don't want to say business as usual because it's definitely not, but, uh, you know, we're still trying to do what we do. And, you know, we're, we're again, everybody's working from home, so they have more time uh, to listen to things and, and search for bands and stuff. So, yeah, we're, we're still signing stuff. We're, we have to be kind of somewhat careful at a certain point because you don't want to have too many bands. And we're kind of getting to that point now where you can only, you know, with the staff, you can only have so many bands to really do a, a good job with. So we're trying to yeah. be real careful with not getting too crazy at this point. So we're slowing down a bit, but we, I think we signed, like I said, mostly in Europe and then we signed like five or six new bands. You, you signed a UK band. That doesn't happen very often. <laughs> I wish it, I wish it did. Oh, me, favorite, me too all my, all my favorite bands are from the uk so <laughs> um, wow really well yeah i mean every i mean you know going back to the 70s and stuff obviously you know obviously uh, 
for that maiden. And I mean, the whole New Wave of British Heavy Metal was the whole reason why I got into this in the first place. So. Yeah, so you, you signed um, Cryptic Shift, I think. Yes. Yeah, another, uh, another of our European staff over there finding, uh, finding a bunch of cool stuff. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's been fun. It's been, it's, there's a really, it seems like there's a really fun, cool underground, you know, scene happening over in Europe again, which, uh, yes. which is always good. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I, it might develop a little quicker as well, given, as you were saying, you know, people having more time to be able to, to write. Um, and also being, being a little bit further ahead than North America in, in you know, getting vaccinated and getting things under control. It, it, it may well be that we've, we've got a little bit more of a kind of scene going over here before, before you guys get fully back on your feet. Yeah. And again, you know, look at silver lining. It's like, you know, hopefully some of these things lend to, you know, there being more, more great music coming out just because everybody had time to kind of focus on that. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, as a business um, and going through all this and having had um, uh, a certain amount of success during this, um, it was interesting you were saying earlier that you have friends and businesses that have done really well and friends that have, done really badly um do you find it something that you kind of you don't want to be smug about it's great but it's something that you really you have to watch the company you're in before before you say well yeah you know. i mean you yeah 100 percent, because you do feel guilty sometimes that uh, you know that you've been okay and other people haven't been it's just it's just that's common the way it's the same there's a there's a, a name for it but you know people who have been in you know, earthquakes or fires or something, and, you know, their house stands and their neighbor's house doesn't stand. And, you know, it's like, uh, it's just kind of difficult. So it's a yeah. little, bit, little bit different in this because you do, I think what a lot of people did is just kind of figured out a different way to do things. And maybe they got in a different business or they, they changed their business to, to somehow make it work here. But, uh, but it's interesting because I, I was, uh, I spent some time in Key West Florida uh, during all this time, just to Vegas as much as I love it. It's very cold in the winter time and I don't like being cold. <laughs> so um, <laughs> Key West uh, is, uh, they had you know, very little, very little cases. And I just basically rented a house and had you know, some of my friends were down there. We didn't really do much of anything, but I ended up meeting some, some, um, some people down there. And I found that all of them had done insanely well over the course of, of the, the worst part of the t- pandemic. Like, one of my buddies owns a bike shop. One of my buddies owns a wine store. And you know, those things you would think like, you know, okay, lockdown, we can't exercise, going to go get bikes. And certainly alcohol sales, of course, anybody in that industry, they might've done the best of everyone. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but it's interesting to, to, to find that stuff out. It, it seems to be that more people did, did well during all this than, than you would, than you would actually think. Yeah. So there is some resiliency there. Um, so at least well, that's positive. Yeah, well, the thing is, human beings, we're strange creatures. Just when you think you can predict us, just when you think there's an algorithm for everybody, um, there's, you know, the law law of unintended unintended consequences arrives. So in the UK, we have a massive housing boom. Property prices have gone through the roof. and, And, you know, people are putting their houses up for sale and they're selling them straight away. And no one saw it coming. No one predicted it. But same here, same yeah. exact thing. Right. And I think it's like, it's basically people sat at home, do a lot of internalizing 
and a lot of examining, you know, do we need to be here? Do we want to be here any longer? And yeah, I I think stuff like that's fascinating because as much as we try and predict human behavior, and like I said, especially with, you know, an algorithm for everything, it's great to see the fact that we can still surprise people um, and come out with some just bizarre behavior that nobody was expecting. Right. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. And and the fact that everybody ended up on TikTok again, nobody saw that coming um, apart from the Chinese government, probably well in advance. Um, but uh, so you so you, you got out of Vegas and then uh, and into Key West. Pleased for you because um, uh, I'm back in Vegas now. Ah, I, right. I was, for, I was there for I don't know maybe I was I went down there a couple times for a few weeks, like in in the winter time when it was you know really really cold here and, and really nice there. The beautiful part of the world. Well, well, I was I was going to say and because we've talked about your business, but you know personally, how did how did you get through the worst part of it? I mean, other than going to Key West. Yeah. Uh, honestly, sports probably was the, I'm a big sports fan. So me too. Uh, ice hockey. I mean, ain't really any, anything. And it, if it wasn't for a lot of that stuff, I, I probably would have gone kind of crazy during all this, but especially, I mean, I'm a huge ice hockey fan. So when that, when the season was going, even when they're in the bubble up there, I mean, I was, well, I watched every single game. So yeah. something to do every day and something to, to you know, to focus on as opposed to everything else. So, so that stuff, that stuff definitely, definitely helped hugely. I don't, I don't, I think it would have got a little crazier had it not been able to, to watch all of that. So that was, and, you know, I'm, I, I try to watch as much of that stuff as, as I can anyway, but you know, in, in back in normal life, you just don't have time. So yeah. I, just, I just took it as like, okay, here's a, here's a time where I can actually watch all this stuff. And, and luckily the, the games were really good. And it was, uh, it's well it's, it's the same over here i mean basically the the broadcasters um uh made every single game available so normally when there's a i'm talking about like you know soccer the the, the premier league uh, normally only selected games will be will be shown live over a weekend and then you know they have highlights packages and it but during lockdown it's just like right every game so you could literally you know you could watch a game nearly every night which was just heaven um, I'm re- I'm actually going to miss it, which <laughs> which is um, a bit sick, really. But um, I am actually going to miss it. But you'll appreciate this as a sports fan during um, during the pandemic when we were right in the midst of it. Football had come back, and it was in empty stadiums, obviously. And I saw my team get promoted back to the English Premier League for the first time in 16 years. Um, so it was a one person party around my house that day. And, um, and I did have neighbors uh, wanting to know if I was all right. I was like, yes, I'm happy. Um, but what a, I, I, I mean, I've spent 16 years. I went to, I went to the last game we played in the Premier League. I went to the ground and, um, and it was, you know, it was a very sad occasion. It was basically like 35,000 people being at a funeral and, and then 16 years later, I'm sat in my flat on my own, watching us finally get promoted back to the division where we think we belong. And it was just such a mixture of emotions. You know, it was like, I was happy. I was elated. I was on my own. I started thinking about all the people that I've lost since, you know, it's like my father would have loved to have seen us go back up, lost him 10 years ago. And it's that, it's that power of sport, I think. 
you know? It's, yeah, 100%. I think that's why it was really important for all these sports leagues to, uh, to play, even, even in a pandemic, even in front of, you know, even in empty arenas and stadiums. So it's important for, for just a distraction for people, you know? It's the same thing, you know, if you're not a sports fan, all my friends watch, you know, every movie and every TV show. And yes. So definitely distractions were a, a, huge, a huge help, I think, for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, well, the, you know, the UK government was just like all on to try and get to try and get sport back because it is, you know, whether you like it or whether you're not, I have this argument all the time. Hey, it's a music podcast and fuck it. Let's talk about sport. Um, it's the unifying power. You know, it's, uh, you know, the, the old it's just a game argument. I'm afraid that just doesn't wash. It really yeah, doesn't. Look, I, I get it. You know, I, I, Trust me, I have a lot of friends who are not sports fans at all. And I, I, I say, I don't know, 80% of all musicians are not sports fans. Whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely. But there are a lot who are. And, you know, I did a podcast for three years with uh, my friend who runs uh, NHL.com. And we talked to athletes about, about metal. And it awesome. was super fun to do because I did realize how many of them are, are metal heads. Not as many as there used to be, but, uh, but there still is quite a few. So it's always fun to have my two worlds collide, you know, talk, like, being a yeah. fan and then actually, you know, interviewing some of these guys and becoming later becoming friends with a bunch of them too. So crazy. Oh, that's awesome, man. I'm, I'm totally jealous. I've, I, Cause there, there's, I mean, literally you can count the amount of um, metal sports people who've come out as metal heads. You can count them on one hand over here and uh, ain't none of them talking to me. I've tried. Um, but, um, but uh, yeah, you know, it is, it's, uh, it, it is that unifying power. Um, and, especially during the times that we've been through to have anything that you can just feel like you're connected to it, you know, just to have something. I, I mean, were you, were you on your own during the pandemic, during the pandemic? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I had, uh, I had two friends here. Uh, one of my friends, Lizzie Borden, who lives down the street from me here in Vegas. And we would, we would all get together once a week on Saturday to watch uh, the UFC. Well, before the UFC, we would just get together and, and go down a rabbit hole of, you know, pick a band, uh, you know, Iron Maiden or, you know, whatever it was and just, you know, go yeah. down a rabbit hole watching different stuff. Um, but that was really it. Otherwise, yeah, I was, I was pretty much on my own. I, I saw, uh, you know, so, uh, select group of friends here and there that, uh, you know, I knew were being safe and stuff, but yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. Just by myself for the most part. Yeah. Same here. And um, I have to say, I think, I don't know, there's, there's as regards mental health, I'm sure it's had, you know an effect on me somehow but I kind of feel I kind of feel like I'm sort of I, I got through it okay um at least I hope so yeah I, I yeah I think so too uh you know one thing that was kind of fun that I did obviously you know talk to I talked to a million people every day and you know definitely yeah. there were a lot of people that were struggling pretty heavily I, I had some friends that that really were were struggling that uh you know try to help out as, as much as possible but it was at some point it kind of became a little bit fun. Like I was doing these uh, uh, Instagram uh, live feeds where I just, you know, I, I just wanted to see my friends. So it was, whether it was, you know, Corpse Grinder from Cannibal Corpse or Adam from Kill Switch or, you know, Johan from Amon Amarth, just that we just get on and, and say, Hey, we can see each other and just talk for, you know, about an hour or so and interact with people. So that was, that was really fun. Another kind of, you know, one of these weird silver linings of the whole thing. I, I never would have had time to do that beforehand, but. Uh, yeah, I, 
I'm, I'm, I'm exactly the same. I did the same thing, except um, on our on our Facebook page. Every Saturday, we'd do a show. You know, and I'd get some get some guests on. We had we had um, James Murphy. We had Bobby Gustafsson. We just getting people on and just having a chat. And one thing I found, I don't know if you found this in the comments. Normally, it's like you know, stupid questions, and and then people start arguing, and you know, and it's like come to Chile and all that. But I, what I found was it was pe- people were just like, oh, my God, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. This is like a, this is the closest thing I've had to a night out for years. You know? Yeah, 100 100 percent. Like the comments were all great. I did a few Facebook things as well. And those were really super fun. Uh, and it was everything was positive. And, yeah, I think people were just, you know, so desperate to interact with anybody. You kind of lo- you definitely didn't see the, the like you said, the crazy, you know, come to Chile sort of thing. <laughs> So did you did you discover any new music during uh, during lockdown? Uh, I mean, yes and no. I mean, you know, I'm always looking and listening to new stuff. But, uh, you know, for I do that. It's weird. Like I do that kind of for I mean, I like I love it. I love, you know, checking out new stuff and hearing new bands. But I I have two modes in my brain. That's like the business brain mode. And then just I'm a fan mode. Yeah. So I, I, I discovered a lot of really cool stuff that, that I'd never seen before. Like a lot of, you know, old footage of, you know, for, for example, like Alice Cooper, some stuff that I'd never seen before from the early seventies. And uh, cause we, like I said, I, I do these, you know, just deep dives usually on YouTube and just go down and try to find stuff. And I, I'm a big collector. So I found a couple of, uh, of uh, uh, let me see how to describe this the right way. Uh, live music uh, CDs that people put out that may or may not be legitimate. But, <laughs> are you uh, are you are you trying not to say the word bootleg? Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, good job you didn't say it. Yeah. But um, uh, but I found a lot of that that stuff out there that's really cool. And, and there's been a lot of you know I, I did the same thing like you know there's been a lot of repackaging of classic albums and stuff that you know I, I've been able to to get to spend more time listening to like. You know, uh, Waters has done a great job on all these Black Sabbath reissues with, you know, just tons and tons of tons of extra content. And, you know, so that's having extra time to do that is uh, was was really helpful. And one thing that I did, too, that kind of back to the, you know, how did you survive all this sort of stuff? So when everything yeah. was completely dead and you weren't allowed to really walk outside your door or anything, uh, I've been I've been starting this uh, Metal Blade Museum. Uh, idea that I had a, a while ago because we just had all this stuff. Like, what do we do with all this stuff? Like, let's just put it somewhere so people can see it. So I started it in a in a house out here and, and uh, just for fun. And then I started having people over and they really liked it. And then you know, guys like Charlie Benanti came over and posted it on social media and everybody's like, where can we see this? So we kind of got the idea to actually get a, an actual you know uh, uh, space here in, in Vegas to put that together. So. So for basically that three or four months, I went to work there every day and just started putting the whole thing together. So uh, we still don't know when it'll be available for the public to see with all this stuff going right. on. But we're, I'm, we're hopeful that uh, next year, 2022 is our 40th anniversary. So we're hopeful that by then uh, we'll be able to, to really do some fun stuff with it. That's amazing. And that is a, that's, a, that's a fantastic idea as well. Uh, I mean, because it's I, I know the feeling it's like I, I bet you have people come over and they and like you know they see some stuff that you have and it's like oh my god this is incredible you know this should be in a museum <laughs> and it's like ah yeah 
that was kind of the idea. And I thought, oh, why not? I mean, it's just, I just have so much stuff. And, and the, everybody I talked to loved the idea. So, uh, and the, you know, the, the few people that have seen it so far really like it. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to eventually get it, uh, get it out there for people when you can. Well, also talking of the ex- talking of the like the re-releases and expanding editions, it would be remiss of me not to mention Motorhead because I host the official Motorhead podcast, the Motorcast, and um, and some of the reissues that BMG have been doing of the of the Motorhead stuff are just absolute class. They really are. Yeah, I, I just got the No Sleep to Hammersmith, which is amazing, and there's all this extra content and oh, yeah. amazing stuff. Yeah, the 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 Ace of Spades one is is phenomenal. Um, uh, the, the, I've got all of them. <laughs> oh, have you really? Oh yeah. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. That that Ace of Spades box. I'm. I need. That is not something that goes on a shelf easily. That is a one weighty thing. You know, there's yeah, so those, much in it. Yeah, those the Metallica, the Sabbath, they're so big. You can't really. You almost have to put them on. I'm putting them on top of all my album collection. Yeah, yeah, you can work out with them. Just get one in each hand and, you know, that, that, that's it. Job done. Well, look, Brian, th- this has been awesome, but I'm not going to let you go yet because I have um, some uh, great questions for you from uh, subscribers. Now, we may have covered some of the, um, some of the topics, um, but there, there's some, there is some great questions in here. So would you do me a favour and just hang around a few minutes? Of course. Brilliant. Okay. So, well, look, I, thank you for now. Um, that's the that's the main bit out of the way. Okay, so that's that that that's the that's the tough bit. Now, now it's the um, the the really easy bit, which is um, some great questions from people who aren't me. Um, right, first up, we have. Um, oh, right, we kind of touched on this, but um, Paul Hutchings would like to know. What has been the biggest thing that you have learned from the past 18 months? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, I, I guess the, just the resiliency of, of you know, people put in a, a really difficult situation. Like we talked about, you know, how do you survive? How do you, how do you pivot your business or your whatever it is to, to make sure that things work? And, and I've been really impressed by how more people than I thought did better than I thought. And certainly as a company, you know, we, we did far better. And even, you know, even the bands are they're struggling, but I think, you know, everybody's kind of figuring out a way to, to make it work. So because at first we were like, how, how is everybody survived this? And we are still surviving it. Hopefully not much longer. Yeah. Yeah. But, and you make a really good point there as well. Um, I'm struggling. I'm sure there are, but I'm struggling to think of other genres where fans are literally going out there and spending their money to help the bands out because they know they're having a bad time. It's the wonderful thing about this community that we call metal. Yeah, hundred percent. And, and uh, I've always learned over the course of time that the community, the metal community has just been phenomenal, you know, at all, all times, even, you know, the darker times of, of when metal was kind of out of it for a minute and the underground was always really strong. And, you know, during all the file sharing stuff, it's always been such a great community. So I wasn't overly surprised that everybody kind of came to, to help as much as they could. Yeah, sure. Um, okay. So another question from Carl, uh, Paul did have, um, some other questions. None were as good as that one, which is a great question. Um, uh, but we covered the rest on the other questions. Um, so 
Uh, Carl says, you started off listening to the new wave of British heavy metal, uh, then quickly discovered Maiden. He's he's obviously doing your biography for you here. Um, do you listen to new releases such as ACDC Power Up and the new Alan Maiden album that, that, that's going to come out soon? Oh, God, yes. I, I'm still as big a fan of all those bands as... Uh, as I ever was. In fact, the, the last Iron Maiden album, Book of Souls, is one of my favorite Iron Maiden albums. I'd, probably, I'd put it, you know, maybe yeah. not top five, but close to top five. And the Red and the Black is in my, certainly in my top 10 all-time Maiden songs. I love it. Power Up was uh, an unbelievable record. I'm, I'm a, a huge ACDC fan. They were one of my favorite bands growing up. And I've always been a big fan. I've been lucky enough to meet Brian Johnson on a couple of occasions. We worked with him. He actually did a song on a comedian. Jim Brewer did a record with us and Brian yes. band on it. Yes. At that time was the last thing he'd ever done. So I got to meet him a couple of times and I know a lot of the story behind what, what really went on in that whole camp and to have him come back to the band because he's such a, an amazingly nice human being. Just really yeah. incredible. Uh, and to have, have him come back and the whole band come back together and then make this un believable album it, it came out I, I mentioned key west before and it came out uh, one of the times i was in key west for a couple of weeks and i listened to that album i don't know ca- countless four or five times every day i just couldn't believe how, how great it was so so yeah I'm, I'm always a huge fan of any of those bands that put out new music i mean it, it's it's i think most of them are i've done a pretty good job even the last metallica record i think is great so Seems like a lot of the bands, that the older bands are, are coming out and putting out really good music again, which as a fan makes me really happy. Yeah. And I, I, I you know, I totally agree with you on Book of Souls. I mean, that's that is without doubt to, to put to put out your first double album that deep into your career and for it to be as good and consistent as it is, is a minor miracle, really. Yep. 100%. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'm when you were saying about listening to to it to power up five or six times a day, I was thinking, yep, there was stuff that came out that I, that forever. Whenever I hear songs from albums, I'll go, that was a lockdown album. Yeah, yeah. that was like that was two or three times a day. That was like you know when I was on a run or you know whatever. Um, well, you've answered quite a few follow up questions there because there there was some follow ups about you know what do you think is the quality of their material. Um, if you had a chance to work with any of, oh, I think I know the answer to this. <laughs> if you had a chance to work with any of these legacy bands, how would you make their music and product more relevant to today's music business? Um, or do you think they're doing a good job as it is? Can I just, can I preempt you and say you'd love to work with ACDC and you think they're doing a great job as it is? <laughs> uh, yeah. And Iron Maiden. Yeah. yeah I mean, look, yeah. I, uh, uh, I mean, would it be great to work with all of them? Of course. But, I, you know, it's also fun just to, to be a fan and, and kind of do it that way and not have the pressure. Because the one thing for, for me is like working with people that you've known for a long time, that you're friends with, and then you start working with them. It's, that's an incredible amount of pressure. So I almost would not want to work with any of those, any of those bands because yeah. I'm friendly with, you know, a lot of them and I'm a fan of theirs and just the pressure would be insane just to give you an example like kill switch engage are extremely good friends of mine their managers are some of my best my best friends and uh you know i've been friends with them for so long and when it came up you know when they were a, a free agent i guess you know we we put in an offer that wasn't spectacular i didn't think but uh, but they came with us anyway and it was both great and terrifying at the same time because now <laughs> yeah. 
if yeah. I screw this up, you know, I, how is this going to affect my friendship with them? And also, I don't want to do a bad job for them because they're good friends of mine. So luckily, it all worked out okay. But that's terrifying. So I, I would almost rather not. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I absolutely get that. I abs- and also, there's, there is a certain amount of... <sighs> Do I, do I really want to see behind the curtain of the new ACDC album? I want the fan experience of, of it just like arriving and me not knowing what it's going to be like. Yeah, I, absolutely. You know, as a, as a, like I said, as a fan of stuff like that, it, uh, I've had an opportunity a couple of times to work with some, some bands that I'm huge, huge, a huge fan of. And it's, like I said, it's just terrifying. It's, like, it's, yeah. it's really nice that they, that they think that way, but it's also like, God, if we do this, yeah. oh, it's scary. Yeah, I know what you mean because the the first question in the back of your mind is is just like, what if I fuck it up, <laughs> you know? Um, so we've got here. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you stated that, and this is this is all Carl, by the way. Um, you stated you have an uh, an eclectic mix of musical taste, which is why the roster on the Metal Blade label was so eclectic. Do you still have that same passion for eclectic tastes in music? And could you give me give us some examples of kind of either end of the spectrum that you're that you listen to? Sure. Uh, I mean, look, I, I'm a rock I'm a rock and metal guy, so I'm not I'm not listening to country or pop or you know any of that any of that sort of stuff. I mean, sometimes I'll have jazz in the background if I'm you know doing something, but but predominantly it's all rock and metal, but, but I do, you know, I run the gamut of, you know, I, I love, you know, obviously that super heavy stuff, but I'll, I'll give you an example of a band that uh, is an English band actually, that I'm a massive fan of the Manic Street Preachers. And they're not really, ah, yeah. not really a, a metal band per se. They're definitely a rock no. band, but uh, you know, they've got some heavy stuff, but I've always been a huge, huge fan of theirs. I just think they're all the stuff they've done is just brilliant. Oh, that's really cool. Thank you. Thank you. Not that I'm in the Manic Street Preachers, but thanks for the great answer. <laughs> um, this is an interesting one, actually. What are the advantages and disadvantages of producing music on CDs, vinyl and cassettes uh, as opposed to streaming and downloading? Well, I think a lot of it comes down. Well, there's two things. So streaming is, is just the ease of it. You can listen to it anywhere. You don't have to you know, take a gigantic music collection with you or even, you know, anything. You just listen to it anywhere. It's very simple. It's, it's easy to, you know, in a corporate way, consume the music. Uh, so that's great. But certainly, certainly vinyl uh, and, you know, to a certain degree, CDs as well. Just the quality of the music is, is, is better on those, especially vinyl. I mean, especially for metal, you just can't, there's that warmness that you get when you listen to vinyl that you just don't get anywhere else. So I think people ask, you know, well, what, you know, what about all people buying vinyl? Is it going to stick around? Is it going to go away? And I think people have now kind of figured out, certainly in our world, and I think in a lot of other places too, that just music on vinyl just has a, a, it's just a better experience. There's a real stereo, there's real big speakers, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I think that's the, the main difference. I mean, I'm a consumer, so I'll buy the CD, the vinyl, and also stream it. So I do yeah. all of the above. But I think I think those are the kind of the real qualities of, of why people do things differently. Why people only stream or only do this and that. I mean, I have I have friends that swear by CDs and only will listen to CDs and they won't even listen to vinyl. So that's because they think that that sounds better there. So. Well, I, I'm 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 right with you. I'm right with you, Brian. I'm vinyl in the house, CD in the car, digital on the move. That's yeah. you know that's so, so. There's no reason why you can't just enjoy it all. Um, 
Uh, now this is an interesting one. When a band when a band signed to your when a band signed to your label, what would you do for them that would enable to enable them to get their best performance? Well, I think what we what we at least strive to do, and I think we've done a pretty good job at Metal Blade, is you know everybody that works for the company are all humongous music fans. Uh, we all get along. It really is a big family. You know, and that's kind of when we signed a band, we kind of welcomed you into the family. And what we try to do is just make them comfortable and, and in, a good, in a good environment. You know, we're not pressuring yeah. them. We're not telling them what they should sound like or what they should do or any of those things. We're just trying to help them, you know, guide them along and answer questions. And, and we have just a, such a, a really amazing staff that does such a great job. And, and, they're, and we're all friends. It's like we're you know, it's a big community of just everybody's friendly, everybody likes each other. I mean, some of my best friends are all the guys in the bands on the label. So uh, it, it, I think that if you give them a nice foundation like that, where it's friendly and, and everybody's a fan and everybody wants the best for them, then hopefully that'll put them in an environment where they can be creative and make great art. And, and that is the, that's, that's exactly what happened to me as a, you know, as a teenager signing with Music for Nations. It was exactly that. You know, they were they were all really friendly. We used to hang out outside the office. They and if you had a question, they would they they'd answer it. It, it was it wasn't about it wasn't about um, being proactive and offering you advice that you didn't ask for. It was it's it's just about support because artists are invariably needy creatures, you know, and. We, we need support. We need telling that what we're doing is great and that we're on the right track. And maybe if you just lean left a little, that would help. You know, that's exactly what we need. Yep, 100%. And I have a great respect for the late, great Martin Hooker, too, who ran Music for Nations. So we did a lot of work. We licensed a lot of stuff to him and hung out with him a lot and just a really, a really good, real music guy. He was a lovely man. And it will, it, what broke my heart was that I was the only musician at his funeral. Yeah. 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 Um, I, could, I couldn't believe it. There was a lovely, there was a lovely note from Lars um, uh, that was read out. And he, you know, he, he without doubt, he wanted to be there. Um, and, D, and D Schneider um, sent a really, uh, a really cool letter as well. But um, yeah, he was... Uh, late and great he was um he was a wonderful man and great fun great company great yep. company um so uh, oh the stories we should uh, yeah off the podcast we could tell some great <laughs> great martin hooker stories um uh right uh this is still carl uh, um if uh this is this isn't so much questions it's more a list um if money and time you uh, were no object what would your ideal box set vinyl collection look like? Oh gosh. Yeah. Uh, my, I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> almost, al- almost too difficult to, to say. Uh, I mean, wow. I, that, that would be, that would be interesting. I, I, I guess on a metal blade front, it would always be fun to, to go back and, and do like a box set of all the metal masker albums, but it just it's impossible because we don't have the rights to any of that stuff and it would just it would that's why you say money and time because time it would literally take like 20 years of the team of people to try to figure all that out but that'd be fun on the metal blade side of things and then you know i don't know i guess you know i mean i own every piece of uh iron maiden vinyl there is so i mean <laughs> I, maybe there's something out there that's that's sitting around that doesn't exist that, right or some I live mean- shows that don't exist or something i don't know 
Well, you did look. You did a you did a great job with a very difficult question because I, I the, the questions I dread in interviews is like, oh, you know, what you what you what are your top three favorite thrash albums? And I'm like, oh gosh, really? You know, it's like you've got to warn me with these questions, you know. And and the three that I would tell you today, I it'll probably be another three the following day, and or the same three but in a different order. I mean, there's just so much great stuff out there. Yep. Um, well, you did a really good job with that question, my man. Um, Right, Carl's final question, you'll be pleased to know. Um, which bands do you think saved metal in the 90s? Well, first and foremost, you gotta, you got to give it out to Pantera because Pantera was, you know, the, Hell yeah. uh, at that point, really the only mainstream metal band and they were definitely flying the flag big time for metal. So uh, yeah. I think that if it wasn't for them, uh, who knows? I mean, they, they certainly were, were number one. Uh, you know, Metallica was still out there being metallic, even though, you know, people kind of, you know, were saying whatever about load and reload. I actually like those records and, and look live. They were great. They were always great. They played all the hits and, you know, yeah. they're still playing stadiums and arenas when, you know, and still being, you know, a metal band basically when it wasn't cool. But I, I think Pantera far and away was, was the one that, that, that definitely, certainly in the U S that if they weren't around, you know, it probably would have got a lot worse. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think they were the standard bearers. They were a kind of, and, and the fact that it was so aggressive, were, I think that was key because that it was, it was almost like a direct opponent to, to, to grunge and everything else that was going on. Um, and, uh, and I'm going to throw in, I'm going to throw in for kind of helping keep thrash alive. I don't know. I mean, they, 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 they've started out bigger over here was um, his machine head. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, look, there was a lot, I, I always stress to people that the 90s produced a lot of really great metal music, you know, people kind of because it was underground and because, you know, it wasn't mainstream and a lot of people don't listen to that stuff. But like even on our, on our end, like, yeah, right. Machine Head 100 percent and, you know, bands. I mean, there's so many great bands. Testament, you know, all that stuff was doing really well there. And even on the Metal Blade front, like uh, Cannibal Corpse, Six Feet Under, Mer Merciful Fate, King Diamond, all had releases that did really, really well. And I think are really great records that, uh, you know, now are kind of getting uh, the, the love, I guess, that they probably should have. But uh, yeah, there was a lot. The underground scene, I think, in the 90s was, was really good. It just wasn't mainstream and everybody thought it was kind of dead because nobody wanted to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. And I've just thought of another one as well. System of a Down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who, who, again, who again broke mainstream and sold shit tons of records. Rage Against the Machine, too. I mean, Morello's a massive, massive metalhead, and they were certainly you know, doing something a little bit different, but they weren't, uh, but they were at least doing something different. Device has lost connection to the internet. Yeah, okay, cool. Well, that's great. That was an excellent answer, my friend. We have, right. Um, ah, this is interesting. So this is a follow-up question on the same thing. Which bands that started in the 90s never got the recognition they, recognition they deserve and split up or disbanded that could have been in today's musical climate if they had pushed through the difficult period and continued? Uh, it's a good question. Um, I mean, there's, uh, there are a lot of bands that kind of still somewhat exist. One, one band that I really, really love, that I, I still love their records, it was a band called Sacrifice from Canada that uh, I, I thrash band that I think could have had a lot of uh, definitely could have been a, a bigger band than they, than they were like time, time frame wise. And I mean, really the biggest for, for me personally, both personally and obviously they're on the label too, but uh, Armored Saint was, you know, a band that 
I think if civil salvation would have come out in 1989, I think that band would have been huge, but it came out in 1991. And then it just, it got just, you know, leveled by everything that was was happening. Uh, Another band that's kind of off the beaten track that also had a bit of the same structure was uh, Galactic Cowboys, who were another great band that kind of came out. You know, late late 80s, early 90s, King's X is kind of in the same ballpark, uh, although they did some stuff in the 80s, but you know, kind of had the 90s kind of took everything away from them and then kind of you know, just went away. And and I was amazed by that because for me, one of my favorite King's X album um, came out in the 90s, Dogman, which is a, it's a phenomenal record. But, yep. it, but it, it just came and went. Hardly anybody knows that record at all. <laughs> yeah, it was just one of those things where uh, wrong place, wrong time, which is yeah. a bummer because, yeah, I agree. That record is phenomenal. Yeah. And the production. Oh man, it stands up, to, still stands up today. The bottom and end is O'Brien, just... who also did the new ACDC. Uh, and has that man ever done a bad production? I mean, I think I love everything he's ever done. Yeah, and he's a great guy too, so. Ah, well, maybe one day I'll get to work with him. <laughs> um, Alexa, lights on. It's getting dark over here. Oh, hello again. Um, right, here we go. Um, uh, you're in you're in the uh, you're in the home straight now here, my friend. Um, so these question this question is from Nick Russell. Um, any respectable uh, metal fan from the 80s should have at least 50 plus Metal Blade albums in their collection. I'm near to 100, I think. Looking at the 80s onwards, can you name in your view the most important album for each decade you released? Oh, man. <coughs> well, first of all, thank you very much for. Uh... For buying that many and having that many metal records, I appreciate that. Um, actually, it's a it's a fairly easy answer. Oh, right, okay. So in the eighties, it has to be. In the eighties, for me, it has to be Metal Masker, just because that's the first thing that started it all off, and yeah. obviously started you know the careers of a lot of pretty big metal bands. So, so I think that's the most important, certainly for the label in general, and just it was kind of a. a, a a big start just in general for the, for the metal scene in, in the U S in the nineties, I have to go back to my aforementioned uh, armored St. Simoville salvation album, just because it's one of the most important records that I've ever worked on. I, I think it's a, an amazing record. The story behind it is incredible. Uh, just everything about that record is really cool. And, and it's the band continuing on to do really well today is, is awesome. So I will say that. So now the two thousands, that's going to be difficult for me. Uh, I guess, I guess I'll go with the Monomarch Twilight of the Thunder God only because that was kind of it's a, a huge record, obviously, for, for them and, and for us and kind of the culmination of the second wave of, you know, metal coming out in the 2000s and kind of do it. So I would probably go with that one. Cool. Wow. Excellent. Well done. Um, and in the near 40 years of Metal Blade, what would you say was the most important period for metal, uh, uh, for the label and for metal as a whole? Well, I guess, I guess it would have to be the 80s just because that's really where it all started. Uh, and it yeah. started, you know, it started, you know, obviously we, we signed and, and worked with so many great bands in the 80s and the 80s were, you know, aside from the 70s, probably the most important time for metal. I mean, obviously, you know, so many incredible bands came out of the 80s and we were lucky to work with quite a few of them. So yeah, certainly the eighties have to be the most important time. It was also just kind of, it was fun, but not so much fun at the same time because it was, you know, it's all starting out new and, you know, we kind of had a, a us against the world attitude and it was great. But then, you know, we kind of started to lose bands to the majors and, you know, we yeah. hoped that they would have success and they didn't have as much. So 
that part was bittersweet, but definitely the eighties were the most. Do you know what that you've just reminded me of something Martin Hooker said to me um, way, way back in the day when I was on the label and um, uh, we were talking about thrash and I said, I said, well, you know, thrash as a whole, you know, do you, do you think it, do you think it can survive and flourish, you know, as a genre and all the rest of it? And his reply was, it'll be fine as long as the majors don't fuck it up. Yep. <laughs> That's, uh, I think I've said the same thing many times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, this, this is good. Are there any bands you had the, char- you had the chance to sign but didn't and anyone that you, uh, that you did sign at the time and then came to regret? Oh, uh, no, I don't really have any regrets about signing, uh, signing any bands. I think... Uh, I think, you know, for better or for worse, you know, I'm happy with all the, all the stuff that we put out and, you know, whether it did as well as it didn't, you know, is, is what it is. Um, but yeah, so we, we, I talk about this in my book uh, uh, about, about a couple of bands that got, people always ask me what the bands that, you know, got away or you didn't sign. Um, there's, there's a few. Uh, Guns N' Roses was one where, you know, they were playing in LA everywhere and their manager was a good friend of mine. The guy that was doing their demos was a good friend of mine. You got to go see them. You got to go see them. You got to see them. And I, I'm not a fan of glam at all. And I just, from the pictures and everything, I just thought they're a glam band. So I'm like, eh, it's not, not really interested. So then of course, Appetite for Destruction comes out and it's like, oh my God, this album is incredible. So we actually ended up doing a lot of marketing promotion for the record because I had friends at Geffen and, you know, they didn't know what to do with it when it came out. We said, we'll get it to all the, you know, yeah. underground people. So I went to a uh, Iron Maiden seventh son of a seventh son uh, album release party in LA. And I knew Guns N' Roses manager because he used to work at our distributor years, years ago. And also some friends of mine knew Slash, like Random Slash. And, you know, we became fast friends and, you know, we had a few uh, adult beverages and uh, towards the end of the evening, you know, he finally asked me, so how come you never came to see us? And I said, I thought you guys were a glam band and I didn't like glam. He's like, I hate that people thought that. So it was pretty funny. And then the other one was, I mentioned Pantera earlier, and uh, their managers were really good friends of mine. Uh, I knew who the band was because they used to do a radio show in Dallas on a station called Z-Rock that was uh, an all-metal station. And they would always call in and whatnot, super good guys. But they came to me with Cowboys from Hell and said, we have this record and we're looking for a deal. At the time, we were at Warner Brothers, so we had a little bit more money to, to play around with. And, but they wanted a bunch of money, and I just at the time thought, I don't know, that might be, that's, might be a little bit too much for us but we probably should have done it but i think they went on and had a decent career anyway so. uh, yeah i don't i don't think it held them back too much no i don't think it cha- would have changed anything. <laughs> yeah 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 um and the thing i i i, I totally respect the uh that you know no the no regrets answer as well because i, I mean i i think there's like you know no band wants to hear somebody from a label saying yeah gee i wish we'd never signed those guys you know, and you you also open yourself up to the oh really? Well, maybe it was your fault argument as well. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, and um, and it's funny. I I just remember what you we were talking about vinyl earlier, and you were saying about how it sounds best and all the rest of it. And and one thing I heard, which which I which I really really agree with, is that someone said, look, original formats don't die, and it doesn't matter what you apply that to look at cinema it like cinema still exists you know i mean videos were going to kill the cinemas streaming was going to everything was going to dvds blu-ray everything was going to kill the cinemas nope people still want to go there and everybody said it was you know vinyl's going to die no original formats don't die yeah Yeah, and i I think that's 
that's a really good point. And one last thing I wanted to mention as well, completely out of the realm of, um, uh, of Metal Blade, well, not maybe completely, but um, I, for a man who's, you know, 51, really enjoyed a, a, quite a bit of new metal that came out when the new metal scene came out, you know, and I, I, I think it, it, it kind of, it, it reinvigorated um, the scene. I think it's always important that we have, we have new genres coming through, you know, that are, that are, that are pushing things. And personally, I think we're due, we're due another one, you know, it's, it's, it, and they're not always great rap metal, funk metal. Uh, no, thanks. <laughs> Brian is shaking his head for audio uh, uh, listeners, but um, but with new metal again, original formats, you know, originators of of, of these of these um, subgenres never die as well. You know, Corn is still going. Put out a great record last time around. Linkin Park, okay, they're not still going, but and, and as much as people might be anti these genres at the time, they just they bring people to metal, and that's all that matters. Yeah, and it's there's always interesting things. There's a, there's a subgenre going on right now called synth wave that's like kind of part metal and part EDM. And I'm not an EDM dance guy at all. And at first I was kind of like, eh, I don't really know. But I've listened to some of the stuff, and and we signed a couple of bands, the Igor, and, uh, <clears throat> a couple of other bands that are kind of similar to that. Uh, and it's really kind of interesting because it's it's bringing in a, a fresh new uh, a fresh new uh, sound to it, really. And you're kind of getting people that wouldn't normally be into metal that are coming over. And a lot of these guys in that world, unbeknownst to me, are huge metalheads. I, I one night got to meet and hang out with Paul Oakenfold, who, you know, is a huge oh yeah in EDM. And he was telling me that he's a huge Metallica fan, and he was talking about you know how what he's what he's taken some of the stuff that Metallica has done and incorporated it in what he does. And it was really kind of interesting because I, I really I, I, super nice guy, and I kind of asked him like, so you know what. I was like, I don't really understand this music. Like, what's the difference between a good DJ and not? So he kind of explained it to me that, that made me kind of understand a little bit more about how it worked. But yeah, he, he followed Metallica around on tour for a while. So. That's amazing. That is amazing. It's the last guy that you'd expect to, to, to be into metal. Um, right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as for Igor, that the, the most recent album, that was, that was a lockdown classic for me. That was unbelievable because you just, it was just like, you know, as you as sort of alluded to, I heard bits and pieces and thought, I, I'm not quite sure what to make of this. And then I, I heard that album and I was just like, do you know what? I don't know what the fuck this is, but I know it's good and I like it. Exactly. And that's, that's all that counts at the end of the day. Um, look, Brian, this has been awesome. I can't thank you enough. I really, really do appreciate you taking the time to uh, to have a chat with you know some nobody in England. I um, it's been it's been a blast, and um, I look I look forward to the uh, to the hat trick and getting you on um, again in you know uh, a few years time. Sure, always fun. And come on, you're in a legendary metal band, so don't. <laughs> that's that's very kind of you to say so. Um, uh, hope for, well, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to playing a live festival. That's yeah. that's that, that's it. You know, just one gig. That's all I want. One gig. Um, thanks a lot, dude. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, you know, metal is safe in your hands. And just you know, keep doing what you do. Thanks. And uh, yep, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Good. Okay. See you later, care. man. After listening to that, you just, 
Honestly, I just want to sign to Metal Blade Records and I'm sure anybody in a band or, or or not even in a band, you want to put a band together just to sign to Metal Blade Records so you can have, like, Brian oversee the whole thing. Uh, must be so cool. Truly one of the, um, you know, one of the founding fathers um, of thrash, certainly from the metal side. And from the metal side? What the hell am I talking about? From the label side. Um, just awesome. Really enjoyed that. Really, really enjoyed that. And I hope you enjoyed getting the full episode. Normally, that's that's what patrons get every every time. Okay. Um, normally, you would have got you would have not got all of the cool bit at the end. Um, that is purely for patrons only. So if you want to get the podcast early and it's bigger because you get to uh, you get to ask all the questions, you get to hear all of these extra bits. Seriously, you're missing out. Sign up on Patreon and do yourself a favour. And frankly, I can't dress it up like that, can I? Do me a favour. You are specifically, you are actually doing me a favour. This is the cl- This is basically online begging. This is this is me saying, hmm, you know, we'll talk for food. Give me six bucks. I need six bucks to be able to pay my uh, power bill. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't, but it'd be really nice if you, you know, you got involved. And it's not free because it takes time, etc. But this this podcast is free. But remember, it's free, but it wouldn't normally be this long. You wouldn't get the Patreon bit. So, you know, whilst it's free, it's great that the patrons basically pay for this whole thing to exist. And if you want to help keep this thing exist and help growing it, well, signing up would be much marvellous. I mean, you know, this is the worst sales pitch in history, basically. And it's what you get on all the other podcasts as well. So I'm just going to fucking stop doing that, okay? Because what they do on all the other podcasts is they tell you to subscribe all the time, tell you to join Patreon all the time. And my favourite thing, or least favourite thing, I was being sarcastic, um, is then spend all their time after the interview talking about the interview and going through it and saying, oh, I thought this bit was fascinating and I thought that bit was fascinating. And it's just like, fucking hell. All right, calm down. And I mean... I, I listen to loads of podcasts and I listen to a lot of boxing podcasts. I'm a big boxing fan. And there's one podcast where, I mean, it's these two cockney fucking chuckleheads, this brains trust, where they one of them will crack a joke and the other one will laugh. And then, and then they'll basically, and he'll repeat that joke and then the other one will laugh again. And they, they do this hilarious sponsored advert, which isn't hilarious. Um, and... But the the biggest thing that pisses me off is that I listen to the interview um, and the interview can be like 45 minutes. They'll then spend 15 minutes talking about the 45 minute interview. I mean, it's like, look, I fucking heard it and I don't need you two fucking go basically just repeating what they said and repeating the same opinion you have over and over again. Mind you, what have I done there? I've just gone on about somebody repeating stuff and it got a bit repetitive, didn't it? Let's be honest. But um, I'm still on a little bit of a high. I've got to, I mean, Bloodstock was an absolute fucking blast. Looking out and seeing a sea of people is just amazing. Um, I, in fact, I am going to... I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I am going to post a little picture in the description. Um, so whatever device you're on, you can have a look. And that that was my view from stage. So I'm sure you can see while I'm, why I'm still a little bit even more of an egomaniac than normal. But, you know, self-aware egomaniac, as it says in the reviews. And speaking of reviews, if you just happen to be passing by iTunes, I mean, you know, don't open it up on my account and certainly don't fucking install that piece of shit on my account. But if you were stupid enough to own an Apple device and you've, you've got it anyway... 
open it up, do a review of the podcast. That would be really cool. Good reviews. If you do a bad review, I'll come round your house and fucking kill you. But, you know, please, I'm doing a great job, aren't I? What a nice, likeable chap. Yes, I'll give him a nice review after he threatened me. The cunt. Yeah, that's who I am. Um, look, in all, all, all seriousness, as I always say, thank you very much. It was lovely being in your ears. That's right. It's DJ voice. This is what happens after 18 months without singing. So hi, kids. Welcome to the show. It's lovely. If anybody wants any, if I can get any voiceover work out there, I'd really appreciate it. Anybody, if you know any voiceover agents, this is the kind of shit I can do. They were born as twins. They were separated at birth. They never knew each other. And then they found each other. And what happened then makes history. This summer, go on a journey like you've never gone before. I mean, you will have done because there's loads of movies like this. But go on a journey and see the world through someone else's eyes. We give you... The Rock, sorry, Dwayne Johnson in I Need a Shit. (laughs) Whatever, I don't know what I'm doing. Thanks a lot. See you in two weeks. Well, won't see you, but you know, it's the thought that counts, right?